Well, I am excited. Uh, this is my first week in a couple of weeks. It's, my, I was talking with my wife about this, and my mom said this to me when I had my gallbladder surgery. She looked at me, and she said, oh, baby, it all goes downhill from there. <laughs> and um, I remember thinking, oh, no, not, not me, not, not me. And gosh, man, it's been like bad back and, you know, all these things. And so I'm actually glad to be standing up this week. It's kind of exciting. But here's where we've been going. We've been in the book of 1 Corinthians, and we've been looking at this idea of Paul landing on people, the, the reality that at different points and in different ways, whether we mean to or not, all of us in here miss the point. The Bible calls this sin, that we, we do battle in an ongoing way that God has, in his truth, has landed upon us. But the, the ongoing battle that all of us are in on a day in and day out basis is that we miss the point of what God's called us to do. The point we've said over and over again, the point is always Jesus, period. He is the point. And we talked about grace and we talked about calling. And if you're anything like me, though, you look at the first nine verses of, of 1 Corinthians, you say, oh, that's nice. That's really nice. But that's not my life. It's not puppy dogs and rainbows. And you know, it, it's just not my life. My life has a little more chaos to it. Now, I would love to stand in front of you and say I have a perfect marriage, but I don't. And sometimes my wife and I, we don't get along, and so you can pray for her. <laughs> She's not in this service, so I'm kind of bold. And watch out. <laughs> my kids, man, we battle through just the reality of them being sinners, uh, me being a follower of Jesus that battles sin. Sometimes week in and week out, I feel like the worst dad on the planet. Even around Cornerstone, I love the church I serve in. I love the elders I'm with. But man, every once in a while, even, even guys that are godly, and you can even see this like in Acts 15 with Paul and Barnabas, they can come to points of sharp disagreement. We just live in a world that way. It's, there's constant conflict everywhere we go. But it's not just personal, is it? It's not just me and the stuff under my roof. I don't know how you feel right now, but like when I watch the news and see everything, doesn't it just feel like everything's going to just tear apart? Man, I, every, it's kind of why I don't even want to watch the news anymore. I'm kind of ignorance is bliss. Just to, let's just pretend everything's okay. You know, I just, that's how I am. But it's this reality that humanity has been in for the longest time, and it all stems back to the fall. When God created this world, he created it good. Every last aspect of it. In fact, as he would create everything, at the end of every day when he would finish, he would say this is good. And when he finally got to humanity, his chief creation, he finished and he said, it is very good. He laid down for them then revelation. He told them he, the idea of this is how things are going to work. This is how I want my world to operate. Here's how I want you to operate in my world. And he said, but there's this one tree, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the one tree that I ask you not to eat off of. Now, what he was laying down there that's so interesting, that's going to be important to where we go today, is we live in a world that says knowledge is power. Let me tell you something. It was a good thing they didn't know evil before they ate of that tree. There was a lot of stuff it was good they were ignorant of. 
Not all knowledge is good knowledge. And what we're going to be talking about today is with this idea is that the moment they ate of it, they chose to step outside of the dependence upon God and his revelation, what he had given to him, given to them, and the consequences were serious. I mean, can you imagine as they sat there and they ate that fruit, I think they had no clue as they were eating it what was going to happen to the rest of humanity. Chaos. But the good news is that's why Jesus came. He came into the chaos. He came into the mess in which we face. And what I want to take you to, go with me to just, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians, but go over with me real quickly to Revelation 21. Why did Jesus Christ come? He came because one day all things are going to be set straight by Jesus. Look at Revelation 21, verse 1, and just just soak this in while I read it to you. John's writing, and he said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And now look at verse four. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away and he who sat on the throne said behold I'm making all things new I want to get there when I was a kid and my mom took me to my first ever orchestra I'm total athlete I could care less about music so the thought of going to orchestra my mom I looked at her and I said do I have to go and she goes yes She takes me off to the orchestra, and if you've ever been to an orchestra hall before, we walk into the orchestra hall, and I'm kind of walking through the dim lights trying to find our seat, and we finally sit down, and here's what I hear. I hear the band warming up, tuning, and it's, and I'm like, oh, how long? Two hours. And this was before, like, smartphones, right? This was back in the 80s. They didn't have something like that. I'm sitting there going, this is going to be awful. And then all of a sudden, the lights dimmed. I'm sitting there looking around. Everybody finds their seats. You know, they sit down. (laughs) Oh, gosh. And then out of the floor, because it was one of those ones where the, the orchestra sits on a hydraulic lift and it comes up. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> it's like the first thing I'm like, this is going to be good. And it comes up, and out comes this little guy in the bow tie and the tails, right? And he walks up to the stand, and he kind of fidgets for a little while, grabs his baton. And then all of a sudden, he did this. And instruments, you know, everything was ready to go. And I'm like, dang, I need me one of those. <laughs> And then all of a sudden, he started to do this. And what came off that stage to this day still, it just, it gives, I'm even got him right now, it gives me chills. It was beautiful. See, right now, we're in the midst of the warm-up phase, and it's chaotic. But there's going to come a point when King Jesus is going to step to the stand, he's going to raise the baton, and all things are going to be set straight. 
but we're not there yet. And what Paul's going to do, though, is he wants us to get something that while we're not there yet, that doesn't mean that Jesus isn't doing a work right now. Go with me to 2 Corinthians 5. We actually are going to get to 1 Corinthians, trust me. But go with me to 2 Corinthians 5. Let me just, to verse 17, let me show you right now. This is what Paul is going to write to us. This idea that, yes, all things are new when we get there. But in verse 17, he says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that's what we've talked about for the last few weeks, what it means to be in Christ. Look at this word. He is, she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When Jesus Christ died upon the cross, was buried, and he triumphantly rose again, everything changed. All of this world, for the first time, those that would place their faith in Jesus Christ were going to live differently than the world. They were now going to live in this new way in which humanity was designed to live. The way that we're designed now to live in dependence upon the revelation of God, Him telling us what we need to know. We were designed to do that. And in fact, the whole purpose of the church within the New Testament is this. In the midst of the chaos, in the midst of a fallen world, you are to be a people that is an appetizer of what is to come one day. You all be what God is intending you to be one day. That's what you're designed to be. And this is now what Paul is going to write to them, is that he's going to help them understand that, listen, God has poured his grace upon you now to be this people that in the midst of a conflicting, absolutely terrible world and the things that go on within it, you are going to be these little outposts of hope to the world. You're going to show them in a small way, a little taste, a little foretaste of what it's going to be like when God comes back. It's not just the words that we speak, it is also the life that we live. Now watch how Paul does this in 1 Corinthians 1. Go there with me. In verse 10, he's going to talk about this and he says, Listen, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and here's what it is, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Be what you're going to be one day. Be now what you're going to be one day. So what is this thing that we're supposed to be? Well, the first thing that he lays out there, when you look down in verse 10, when we understand what is it for like cornerstone to be this, if we're going to be truly a church that according to our purpose statement, it says we're seeking to give an accurate picture of God to the world. Well, the first thing he says in verse 10 is, is that you all agree. Now that word is kind of weird because when I see the word agree, it's kind of like just us walking around going, oh, I agree, I agree, I agree. It's just, look, is that what he's talking about? The word actually means to speak with one voice. The idea of speaking with one voice, in fact, always has within it, when it talks about this idea of speaking with one voice, that we say the same thing, which literally all throughout the New Testament, the thing that we are to say is always about Jesus. I want you to speak Jesus. That's what I want to come out of your mouth. That's what it looks like. That's what it's going to look like one day. 
Now, one time I, I went to the zoo with my son last year. He was a kindergartner, and I don't know what I was signing up for, thinking, oh, it'd be fun to go with 65 and 6-year-olds to the L.A. Zoo. But I get down there, and all of a sudden the teacher looks at me. And she goes, why don't you be a team leader? And I'm like, I'm a pastor. I can handle this. Yeah, I shepherd people. That was my first stupid thought of the day. We're drifting through. My son, you know the, they, that uh, alligator they found in the, whatever, the, uh, the lake over in L.A.? They have at the front. My son almost fell in. I caught him at the last second because he was like trying to look. And so I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is the first hour. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. You know, I'm like, please. So we're, we're like meandering through. And all of a sudden, all the kids, they were going to take him to the bird sanctuary that's there. Now, of all the places, I'm thinking bird sanctuary. All right. So we go. And if you've ever been there and you start walking up to it, it's like, just this terrible noise. And so I walk in there and all the kids are like looking up, having a great time. And I'm like, oh, come on, Lord. Come on, make this quickly. And I just wanted out of there. Well, next to me, I see the zookeeper kind of person. I don't know what they call him for the bird cage lady person. And so I look over at her and I go, what's with all the squawking? I don't get it. And she laughs at me. She goes, well, actually what these birds are doing is, is they're basically telling every one of them, this is my tree. This is my area of this particular enclosure. This is mine, mine, mine. That's not speaking with one voice. But don't we live in a world that it is all me, me, me. That's what Paul's talking about. Our world is constantly saying, me, 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 my ideas, my things, my wants, my little place, I'm going to protect mine. And Paul says, that's not how my church is. In fact, I was thinking about it yesterday morning when I was just praying through this. Right now on this planet, God has designed an entire world to tell him how incredible he is. And right now, even on this planet, seven billion people are saying, me, me, me. People that say is God loving must be crazy. I wonder why God doesn't just destroy the whole thing. To speak with one voice, he says, is to be this group of people that it's not me, me, me. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He said, that's what it looks like. But it's not just the words that come out of our mouth. The next thing you'll see there, that he says that there'll be no divisions amongst you. It's not just the words, but it, then it's, it's how we live together. This idea of division, is, it's not kind of like we're not, we're not getting along. In fact, the word actually meant to take a piece of fabric and rip it apart. He said, I, inside of who you are, I don't want it to be ripped apart in any kind of a way. It would also speak oftentimes of like what would happen when an animal would get torn apart by, by other animals. And, and it would speak of just the awful noise that you would hear when the, the tendons and bones would pop and the sinews would, would be torn apart. It's a word that should just cause almost a, a, an absolute terror to us when we hear this particular word division. It was in the Greek, a schisma. A few years ago, I was teaching through this idea of what does unity look like to the high school students of Cornerstone, and uh, I got this wise idea that I thought, that's what I'll do. I will teach them what that sound looks like. So I went to the store, and I bought a chicken, a dead chicken, and I brought it back, and I put a microphone down inside the cavity. 
And I came in front of all the kids and I had the chicken. And I, then I, <laughs> I was young when I did this. I started pulling the chicken apart. The noise was awful. It was awful. It was the sound of muscle being torn apart and the bones were popping and the tendons were popping. And then I looked out at the kids and I said, can you imagine if you heard this noise every time you caused division, would you cause division? If every time you gossiped, you heard pop, snap, tear, would you do that? Because the reality is when Paul uses this word, this is how hideous it is to be a divisive group of people. He wants them just to understand that I want you to be the opposite of that. I want you to be completely different. I want you to operate in such a way that what comes out of your mouth and the actions that you have resemble what it's going to be like one day when Jesus Christ comes back. That's what it should look like. Now I'm going to get to that last little phrase in verse 10, but let me kind of show you real quickly what was happening inside of their particular church. If if that's the case, then specifically what was happening. Look at verse 11. He says, It has been reported to me by closed people, look at this, that there's a quarreling among you, my brothers. Now, if you'll see in verse 10, he has the word brothers. In the verse 11, he has my brothers. He has this word, I appeal to you, meaning Paul is just finished saying, man, when I left you in verses four through nine, I saw this group of people that God's grace had landed on them. And then in turn, they were gracing and loving one another in this one way kind of a love. That's how things were operating. But he says, now these Clo people, these people from Clo, probably they had traveled from Ephesus to Corinth and they saw what was happening. He says, they've reported back to me There's quarreling among you. It's like a dad sitting there hearing his family's falling apart right into his kids going, what in the world? What's happening? He kind of can't believe it. He even tells the type of quarreling that's going on. Look at the next verse. Verse 12. He says, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or, or, or I follow Christ. He's sitting there going, what in the world? Not only are you arguing, but these people that are servants of Jesus, you're using us to stir your arguments? Are you kidding me? Now, where this, they would have got this from, and it's this whole question I've been asking us, are we, be, are we being changed by Simi, or is Simi changing us? Or wait, are we changing Simi, whatever? You know what I'm saying. What was happening in that culture is, is that they were starting, that's how the world operated. Paul's saying, I want you to give these people, this place, this outpost of hope, but you're acting like your world. See, at this particular time, what would happen is that these people called sophists would come in from out of town, and it's kind of like our football games or concerts, and everybody would go to watch them be smart. Weird. But they would go in, and they'd use flowery speech and flattery things, and everybody would just sit there and clap as they said smart stuff. And then afterwards, what would happen is that they would sit around kind of at their little drinking hole places and sit there and talk about what they had talked about. All these sophists would come into town, and what they would try to do is they would try to get people to follow them. They would try to get them to follow them because they wanted the money. 
And then after they would leave the town and they would have all these followers and take their money, what it would cause is just fights and divisions inside of the city as they said, no, I'm of smart guy Bob or I'm of smart guy Phil. And they would just cause tension within the city. And Paul says, that's not who Peter is, Cephas. That's not who I am. And that's not who Paulos is. Don't you dare use us in that way. We're just servants of Jesus. That's why he even says that statement in the next verse when he talks about himself. We'll, we'll come back to this idea of what it means to be a follower of Christ or I follow Christ. But if you look down there in verse 13, Paul says, was I crucified for you? Are you kidding me? Me? Were you baptized, he said, into my name? No way. It's just shocking to him and overwhelming to him that in any way these people would use these names of the servants of Jesus to somehow stir their little arguments. Now, do we do it in our world today? No. All the time we do it. I went out with a group of pastors, you know, and we're sitting around chit-chatting, and all of a sudden this guy starts quoting John Piper. Now, I, I love John Piper, but John Piper is just a servant of Jesus. And by the way, he's been wrong before. Not often. And John Piper this, and then pretty soon it was John MacArthur this, and then it was R.C. Sproul this, and everybody's sitting around, and it kind of started to cause a little bit of weird, awkward pastor, who's the best guy in the room, and I'm just sitting there going, you've got to be kidding me. We do it within Cornerstone in weird ways. They'll come to like me and they'll come to me for counsel and I'll be walking them through counsel and they'll be like, ooh, I didn't like your counsel. I know. I'll go to Terry. And then off we go to Terry. We're like, come on, Terry, tell me what I want to hear. Terry doesn't tell them what to hear and he uses great Southern jargon, but they still don't hear what they hear and so they go, oh, I'll go to Bill. They sit down with Bill, and then Bill doesn't tell them what to hear, so what do they do? I know. I'll go find a church that tells me what I want to hear. This is what was happening. Instead of a desire to hear the truth, I just want to be told what I want to hear because it's all about me, me, me. We live in a world also where people, they walk through difficulties and we sit down and try to walk with them, but then they go find that, just that right book to excuse their sin. That one right author that says, oh, see, I told you I can enter into my sin because it's me, me, me. Paul says, my gosh, that's not the way it's supposed to be. It's not about you, it's about Jesus. Probably the most dangerous party in there in that particular section of the I'm, I follow so-and-so is the ones that say, I follow Christ. Those are the ones that come in and say, I know you follow Paul and you follow Paulus and follow Cephas. I just follow Jesus. That's all I follow. I have the heart of Jesus. That's nice, you little ones pedal around in this little world, but me and Jesus are tight. The idea was when that next section, when it says, is Christ divided, somehow these group of people thought they're the ones, they're the only ones that have the heart of Christ. Everyone else was wrong, but I'm right because I have the heart of Christ. 
Here's a free little piece of advice for you. You can do whatever you want, but it's free. I'm not going to charge you. If you ever think that you are totally right and the other person is totally wrong, you should think to yourself, oh my goodness, I am wrong. No one is totally right. Every last person that's in here, all of us struggle with determining what it is when God has revealed to us who who we are and how we're supposed to live. All of us in here battle with that to understand that. And nobody is 100% right. In fact, if you ever hear people talking like that, that is arrogance at its core. We do know truth and we're to battle for truth. But underneath that is just a awful arrogance. And this is what Paul's writing into. He says, not only that, but the rest of this section is kind of on baptism, this idea that Paul's like, that's why I'm glad I didn't baptize a lot of you. Because you were connecting more to me than you were connecting to Jesus. You were connecting more to John Piper than Jesus. You were connecting more to Francis Chan than, than Jesus. You're connecting more to Todd Neiswanger than Jesus. It's not about those guys. They are servants of Jesus. But the point is always this one voice idea, Jesus. That's what it's about. So where did this all come from? It's kind of deceptive in where it came from. But you can kind of get your piece of it if you go to 1 Corinthians 4 with me real quickly. Where did this come from? And it takes us back to where I started when I started talking about the Garden of Eden. Verse 6. He says, I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit. In other words, I've, I've talked about Apollos and I so you would catch the point, brothers. Here it is. That you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. Remember what I told you that when Adam and Eve exited God's revelation, when they decided to live independently of Him, and they begin to kind of say, you know what, I'm going to do my own thing, in the core of that is arrogance, and on the other side of that is danger. These groups of people thought, you know what, yeah, it's nice what God's given us, but I've got new exciting things that I can add to this. Or, or even not even thinking about it, they were just thinking, you know, there's this terrible sin, and I know what God's given us, but I'm going to kind of add to Scripture so that people don't go into sin. The moment that we start to add or take away from Scripture, we are in danger. That's what he's saying here. He says, just stick to what God has revealed to us and nothing else. Know this book, love this book, understand this book, live this book. Don't exit the book. See, all throughout time, God's people have been known as a people of the book. He's handed down to us what we need to know to be able to walk with him. And the problem is, what we do is, is we exit this book and we exit to our own peril. Why? What happens? Well, in Romans one twenty five, it kind of talks about this idea that inside of humanity is this temptation that we have to exchange the truth of God for a lie. Everybody does it. 
Everybody in some ways, and he's talking about the kind of the, the humanity as a whole, but we all battle in buying into these lies and we exchange what should be the truth of God for a lie. See, at the, at the core of this is even one lie. Whenever I've heard this preached, generally we, we kind of Rodney King the moment. We say, why can't we just get along? Let's just get along. That's what we'll do. Husband, just love your wife because you ought to. Wife, just submit to your husband because you ought to. Kids, obey your parents because you ought to. Dads, don't drive your kids up the wall because you ought to. Missing the fact that the lack of unity is just the symptom of a greater problem. You don't solve the symptom unless you solve the problem. And at the core of the problem is our arrogant audacity to tell God, I know you what you've written, but I'm going to do my own thing. And we all do it. Some of us don't even spend time in this book. And there's some of you sitting in here, you haven't cracked the pages of this for the longest time. You don't even know what it says. There's some of you that, yeah, you sit down and you kind of read it, you know, because you think a verse a day keeps the devil away. Paul's like, no. We know this word because when we don't know it and we exit it, we are in danger. Go back up to me. Remember I said I was going to finish up verse 10? Let me show you what I'm talking about. Verse 10. This is what Paul's meaning by this statement. He says, I want you to be united, look at this, verse 10, in the same mind and the same judgment. That word judgment actually probably means more of this idea of purpose. In other words, the world tends to exchange the truth of God for a lie and then they live it. And he says, I don't want you to exchange the truth of God for a lie and then live it. I want your mind to be made different. Because God knows once he gets my mind, how much does he have of all of me? Or have of me? All of me. Now watch what I'm talking about. I hope we got these in. Did we get those verses in? Yes? Okay, I did it last second. Throw the first one up on there. 2 Corinthians 11.3, Paul's talking to them, and this is what he's saying. Now look how it connects back. Look how, see how he's going to connect this back to the garden? I'm afraid that just the serpent deceived Eve by his treachery, here's our thing, that your minds may be led astray from a sere and pure devotion to who? Christ. He talks about it elsewhere. Go to the next slide. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who create dissensions and obstacles contrary to the teaching that you learned. In fact, he says, what? Avoid them. For these are the kind who do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. By their smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of the naive. So what do I do? I'm glad you asked. Ephesians 4. You didn't learn Christ like this. If indeed you heard about him and were taught in him just as the truth is in Jesus, you were taught with reference to your former way of life to lay aside the old man who is being corrupted in accordance with deceitful desires and to be renewed by the spirit of your what? Mind. And to put on the new man who has been created in God's, in God's image in righteousness and holiness that comes from truth. Next one. 
Paul understands this and he says there's one side of it that we need to not be conformed to this present world. In other words, I need to not even buy into the lies, but it's not just not buying into the lies. He says that you now also need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, Paul in 1 Corinthians 2.16 says we have the mind of Christ but we need to actually fill our minds with the word of Christ. That's why he says in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So what's the call today? We got to get our tails back in the book. That's what we got to do. For some of you out there that haven't read for a while, you need to get back in the book. For those of you maybe just flittering around with it, you need to get back in the book. For those of you that are in the book, stay in the book. Don't exit the book. Know the book. Love the book. Cherish the book. Live the book. Be around people that teach you the book. Sit down and talk with people about the book. We need to be in the book because God designed us to be people of the book. He gave us revelation and our goal now is not to live outside of it but to look at this and go, okay God, I'm desperate. Teach me. There's kind of three takeaways that I would say for you and you can either write these down or you can do whatever you want with them but here's the first one. If you're going to see transformation in your life, if you're going to honestly see what Paul talks about, this idea of the renewed mind, if you're ever going to see that, you need God to reveal the lies that you've bought into. And if you don't think you've bought into any lies, you have bought into lies. Every last one of us in here in different areas of our life have bought into lies. If you're not sure what those lies are and you're married, ask your spouse. They will tell you. (laughs) Ask your friends. Ask people that you trust in the Lord. Where do you see me living a lie? And by the way, you have to look at them because they also have bought into a lie which says, I probably shouldn't tell them the whole truth or nothing but the truth, so help me God. And look at them at the end of it and say, is there anything that you've lied to me? Is there more? Know the lies you've believed in. Spend time in the Word. And as the Word starts to show you things, man, in dealing with it, sit there and go, oh my gosh, that's a lie that I believed in. I have exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and by doing that, I have put myself and those around me in peril. When you see those things, like in Revelation 2 through 3, when Jesus five times has to tell these five different churches you've blown it, he has this key word that he uses, and it is the word repent. When you've bought into a lie, that is idolatry, and that is serious. And it's going to God and going, God, please forgive me. I have bought into a lie. And the beauty of God is when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He loves when we come to him and seek forgiveness, but repentance isn't just seeking forgiveness. It is now the desire to turn and go the other way. See, there's a lot of us in here, we keep our sin private. We kind of just go, okay, me and God, yeah, God, I did it again, I did it again, I did it again, I did it again. And all the while you've never turned and repented and gone the other way. 
One of the reasons I've found inside of this area of repentance that we don't turn and go the other way is because we keep it between me and God instead of confessing our sins one to another. See, there's something powerful when out of my mouth comes these lies that I bought into where I've exchanged the truth of, a God, of, 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 of God for a lie. And now what Paul and even what James talks about is that this confession of sin to one another, it now brings the body to bear on my life. They can pray for me. They can challenge me. They can encourage me in the midst of dealing with my sin. In fact, the more private you keep your sin, the less power you're going to see in overcoming it. If you want to see your mind transformed, repent. But it's not just turning away from something, it's turning to something. See, not only that, and this is what I meant by it, we turn from that and we get ourselves into the revelation of God. We get into the Word. Man, this week, walk through that process. Talk to your spouse. Look at your word. Ask, where have I bought? And even ask God, God, would you please tell me, where have I bought into lies? Maybe even some of you today, you're sitting in your chair right now knowing the lies that you bought into. And I would say this, there's no better day to deal with the lies that are going on inside of you than right today. And so if you need to come up for prayer later, come up here. Let's deal with the lies that you bought into. Today's the day. Now, Paul, in verse 17, and this is where I'll finish. He said, this is all I did. He says, look, Christ did not send me to baptize. And he doesn't, wasn't saying that baptism isn't important, and we'll talk about that next week. He said, but my job was just to come to you and preach the gospel Not with words of eloquent wisdom. Why? Because if I get caught up, if I exit the truth of God for a lie, if I somehow think outside of how God has created me, I will empty the cross of its power. We are living powerless lives because we're not living inside of God's revelation. We need to get back in the book. Now, if you haven't caught my point yet, I'll say it once more. My heart is that Cornerstone would continue to be known as a people of the book. That we would teach the book. That's why we teach verse by verse. That we'd know the book. That we'd pull it into our understanding. That we'd get around other believers and study it together. But please don't stop there. That what Paul was talking about in verse 17, I went and I lived the book. That's faith. So if you need prayer today, you're looking at your own life and you're seeing quarrels and dissensions, you're seeing these things going on, that could be a sign that you need, you need help. So if you need somebody to pray with you today, we'd love to pray with you. Maybe you're somebody even that heard this today, you're not a follower of Jesus, and for the first time it hits you that you're a person living outside of God's revelation. You're living your own life and you know that the outcome of that is gonna be treacherous. We would love to talk to you today. Maybe some of you put off baptism saying, I don't want to do the baptism. Let me tell you something. The book says be baptized. It doesn't say be baptized when you have time. Be baptized when you can stand in front of a group of people. It just says be baptized. So maybe today's the day you need to be in obedience. Walk up here with your mind convinced and be baptized.
But this week, in case you've missed the point, be a people of the book. Amen? Amen. Father, would you please help this church? God, thank you that you were st- it started with a strong emphasis on being a people of the book. God, would you continue to resonate within our church the heart of being a people of the book? God, that the book would come to bear on our marriages, on our singleness, that it would come to bear on our parenting, that it would come to bear on how we work, that, Father, we would see that the book speaks into every aspect of our lives. God, would you this week supernaturally through just the time people spend with you or, or even the time that people spend around one another, Father, would you please teach us the lies that we bought into? God, I want to be a church that is in unity together. So God, would you do that work amongst us? Father, I love you so much. Be powerful. In your precious name, amen.